The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasa, your host. And today, Florian Kelhart is joining me. He is the Chief Data and Innovation Officer at Telmar. Welcome, Florian. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to join you. Well, you have had a lot going on recently. I know you sold your company, Helixa, to Telmar not too long ago. How long has it been since that acquisition it's happened? It's been about eight months. It was at okay. the end of last year. Okay. Yep. So I definitely want to talk about that. But before we go into that, let's just talk a little bit about your background and your journey to this point thus far. Okay. Well, we can start from the front or from the back, but essentially I've been in this business for 20 some years Okay. and had always been a little bit on the data and ad tech side and then mm-hmm. on the research side and kind of like oscillating between the two. Okay. Um, have been one of the early people at Inside Express, which was the research side have been a member of the right media team doing their expansion internationally, and then went back on the research side, was ultimately had an exit where we were acquired by a company called Knowledge Networks, which Mm -hmm. then was folded into GFK. And then I ran GFK MRI for several years. And after that, I moved on to Helixa and ran Helixa until we were acquired by Telmar um, at the end of last year. So I've always been a little bit on the ad tech side, a little bit on the research side, dangerous on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> you know enough to be dangerous on either correct. side. Yes, I, correct. So tell me, what gets you excited about, you know, ad tech and research? What keeps you involved, engaged, and continuing to innovate? Sure. So when you think about, there's the geek in me, which is the research side of things. Sure. And the business side of things of really trying to understand of what consumers want and what consumers need. And very early on, this started out actually with Inside Express way back then, was the realization that traditional methods of data collection in form of traditional service, traditional panels, is going to have a really hard time to stay cost competitive as we go along. Right. Um, the internet obviously provided a great opportunity to change all this, even though we kind of like kept some of the methodologies the same, but Mm -hmm. the data collection first changed, then the acquisition of panels changed, then we started having really like survey redirectors and online sampling coming all together into certain things, really trying to get a blend going between the cost efficiency, the price that research can be afforded at or built at, and there's results, trying to keep the result as quality. readable and as quality, as high quality as you go, as you can make them. And that was really fascinating because the mm. internet just provides great opportunities, but also create obstacles sometimes in really understanding of what those quality uh, limitations are. And the evangelist in me was always trying to convince people that 
more detail may not be always more better, ah. but that there are really like situations where 80% of accuracy might be just enough for mm -hmm. you to actually make the decision in certain situations. And in other situations, you may want to go to higher accuracy and that that also has an effect on price and timing and the ability and the availability of transactional data and behavioral data to actually replace some of that data mm -hmm. that we historically have collected with surveys and being able to modify that, model that, and transform that into similar things that we can today see and say about people and about what they like and what they do that we needed surveys prior. And those are the things that really tickle me. That, it's exciting. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. There's so much additional data out there. Obviously, careful around privacy and compliance. But right. given that, there is tons of information, I should say data that can be that could create some very compelling insights that drive decisions. Yes. You know, you and I have spoken about Helixa over the last 12 to 15 months and have very cool solutions. Can you just give a little bit of framework as to how Helixa fits into the overall data landscape, if you will, or ecosystem? Yes. Just to provide sure. a perspective. Yeah, sure. That's a good one. There's actually two parts of that. One of them okay. is the uh, what I just mentioned earlier about like being able to use observational data, yes. social data, et cetera. And not only like reporting on likes and follows and sentiment, but actually taking that data and transforming that data into understanding what people's interests actually are. And that is something that we do. And the reason we do that, and this is the other part of this, is that the industry is in need and continuously to be more in need of more accurate and more detailed personas and definitions of audiences and segments, et cetera, that go far beyond demographics and right. some lifestyles in order to address their needs for product advertising, product mm -hmm. development in a very, very fragmented market, right? So as long as we had television and radio and lin just linear television, it's very easy to reach everybody with very basic demographics. But when you have a set of 500,000 influencers and you need to figure out which part of your audience goes to which influencer, you right. need a lot more detailed information to make the right decisions. And that's kind of like where um, Helixa fits in building those audiences in very, very granular detail and very rich detail so that our clients then can actually make decisions of how to go to market, mm -hmm. who that segment of their audience they want to address, what are the things they might be considering in that situation. Can you give an example? Because I, I totally understand what you're saying. I sure. mean, obviously. I can give you an example and I can't name the actual. Sure. There was an agency that was tasked with, and it's a, something that we actually have written over, about, uh, that was tasked with our marketing a new sports drink. The standard like answer to sports drink marketing is gaming kid in the basement. Right. <laughs> in the dark basement, <laughs> the, yeah. In the, in the dark basement. <laughs> and using Helix, so they were actually able to do a segmentation and they figured out that there was a segment of male adults like me mm -hmm. who actually are very into being fit and and like maybe not like me but very much <laughs> being fit 
and that they have actually a very high interest in that sports drink. And based on that finding of that detail, and they also found out that these people buying a lot on Amazon, based on that finding, they actually revamped their approach and they actually like created a specific campaign just targeted to that segment that they didn't even know existed before. That's great, yeah. And they um, had an immense success in actually reported sales through Amazon to that particular segment. So they found through those rich details, segments that they did not know about, were able to create an advertising campaign to that specific mm-hmm. segment and ultimately measure the results against it. Very cool. I mean, I, you know, we always hear about the fact that there's so much waste in advertising and, you know, are you truly targeting the right audience? And so the solution really gets you closer to making sure you're targeting the right people. That's not necessarily just demographic based, but it's based on interest and lifestyle. Correct. And it's not always, just to be very clear about it, it's yeah. not always just about targeting for advertising purposes. Okay. It's sometimes really understanding of who is my audience? What okay. drives them? What motivates them? How do I, when I do a product development, I do new product development? What other things mm-hmm. are they actually doing? What is the competition doing? What are the competitor consumers doing that might actually be something or interested in that I may be able to latch on to maybe position myself very differently or very similar to them in order to attract new consumers. So it's more on the strategic side. It's more depth and also on the strategic level, not just on the ad technology execution level. Yep. Okay. That makes perfect sense. So then Telmar comes into the picture and, you know, there's this integration of the two companies. What are you guys working on together? And, And maybe it might be helpful to give a little background on Telmar as well. Sure. Well, Telmar is kind of like in the business longer than I have been in business. Uh, (laughs) Telmar is a very traditional company that has been for a very long time, very innovative in Mm -hmm. uh, supporting media agencies, advertising agencies in the media planning, particularly in the media plan, on the media planning side of things. And what sets Telmar apart and what is actually interesting for me as a data chief data officer is that Telmar is a processor of many, many different data sets on behalf of clients. So the client, the agency may actually have access to multiple syndicated studies, Mm -hmm. may have access to their own proprietary data, et cetera, et cetera. They can access and process the data and look at that data through one interface rather than having disparate interfaces for each data set by themselves. So there's a lot of data knowledge there. Telmar is also known in some other countries, particularly for their IP, for example, of calculating reach and frequency models for the television market in France, et cetera. So they're very good at actually like adding value to that data that they're processing. And where these two Helixa and Telmar match is when you think about it, Helixa is on the audience intelligence side. Okay. Telmar is more on the media intelligence side of understanding media information and planning. And so this gives us the opportunity now to have audience intelligence, Mm -hmm. going a lot more in detail with audience intelligence, and then adding to this and connecting it with the media intelligence to provide a more streamlined solution to clients. Obviously, it's not rolled out yet, but this is kind of like the the idea here, a division of more streamlined solution of how our clients can interact with building audiences and then moving them into planning and execution in a more, more sophisticated way. 
And I understand the audience intelligence. The media intelligence is to understand more deeply the different media. Yeah. So we Telma has planning tools, media planning tools. And and so they also ingest television data in multiple countries, radio data, et cetera, and analyzing that data on behalf of clients. So the planning tools for media planning Mm. are on the Telma side. So we can go from the audience intelligence, understanding who these people are, into the media planning side to actually provide inputs directly into that. Very cool. Is this something new that will be introduced into the industry? Is there a competition for this? Give us a little flavor of that. We do believe that the general piece of us doing audience intelligence and media intelligence and providing the link between the two is by itself helpful for the agencies. By itself does not individually pieces they exist and they both have competition. Right. There is other things that we have in the works that I can't really talk about sure. that have to do with our group companies where there's other information that we want to add as we go along that will make it very, very different from what our mm-hmm. from what clients can get from anybody else right now. But I don't want to go into details. It's a little premature to do of that. Of course, yeah. I think competition is fantastic. I think it just makes us stronger, Keeps you honest. right? Keeps, Keeps you, you honest. honest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I always feel like companies do better when it's a competitive market. And also the market's validated, right? You're not the only one kind of correct. sitting there in like a big ocean wondering where everybody else is. <laughs> yes, that is correct. No, I like competition. I like a little bit. It does keep you honest. It does keep you on your toes. And it is overall good for the business. There's no question. So let me ask you this. You know, everybody keeps talking about economic uncertainty. We're seeing some of it already. And, you know, what do you see as potentially happening to ad spend? Do you think people are going to pull back? How does this solution potentially help? What's your perspective? Let me get my crystal ball. Ah. I don't have one, but (laughs) I do believe that it would be silly not to talk about like uncertainty. I would not necessarily like use stronger words than that. Mm-hmm. And but it is definitely uncertainty. And as we have seen through three years of COVID in one form or another, companies are becoming very sensitive mm-hmm. to reacting very quickly and early to uncertainty. It has to do with cash management. It has to do with like unnecessary spend control, these types of things. So we had now coming out of the COVID dump like low, great, positive engagement with agencies, with Mm -hmm. everybody wanting to like be back in the business, I would expect that people become a little more cautious, Mm -hmm. which means that there's probably for B2B providers, more scrutiny. Mm -hmm. Do we really need this? Is this something that we want to shelf? It's just like cautiousness and spend. I'm not seeing yet like massive... Like everything shut down, right? Exactly. No, it's not not that, but I think people are just like being cautious Mm -hmm. and probably the CFOs are likely the more leading indicators in terms of like, let's revisit what we had as a budget in January 1st. Right. And see if that's still the budget that we want to do for the last, for the, for the remainder of the year. I mean, I do think through COVID, we probably saw a lot more digital acceleration, right? People who weren't digitally savvy or using digital tools, and I'll say advertising too, or social media, they had no choice but to jump into it to ultimately get to consumers, partners, 
you know, leads, if you will. So it'll be interesting to see where that kind of rose in terms of COVID and now where with the uncertainty where that might fall out. And I think to your point, you know, we've been so agile over the last three years in in terms of making measured decisions and not necessarily saying, okay, here's the year's budget. Great. We're ready to go. It's more month to month, week to week to really evaluate things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what are the long-term implications for the industry as it relates to this, you know, if you will, data revolution, evolution? So it's interesting. Well, having grown up in Europe, I've been always been a admirer as a wrong word, but like a little surprised, obviously, by, for example, the privacy conversations that we had going on in the United States. Telma is a globally operating company. We have very different requirements of what we need to do in the UK versus what we need to do in the US. Typically, obviously, leaning to making sure that it works in the UK because then it works or then it pretty much, if it works in the EU, it pretty much works everywhere everywhere else. else, Everywhere else. Very true. But I do believe that we have met or are at a point where there is some measure of privacy conversations on a consumer level Mm. that is very strong and is continued to happen, right? There's going to be continuous changes and it affects particularly data companies Mm -hmm. and companies that deal with data in one form or another. I give you an example. I would say that a couple of years ago, startups would have been totally comfortable with some, not shady, but gray zone company Mm -hmm. that scrapes data and like resells it and all this kind of stuff, just like making an agreement with them and getting some scraped data and just then processing and doing it. Today, they might actually start like running it by their GCs and saying, this is something that we should be engaged with because there is a chance that later in an exit or in an exit conversation, this question, this is going to become a problem. And so I think that is one element that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. I think there's another element that I find fascinating is that we have um, some very, very large data providers, particularly on the social data provider mm-hmm. that have their, their walled gardens. Yep. And they're torn between keeping that from an advertising perspective all to themselves. But because it also is from a consumer behavior perspective, interesting for a lot of research companies, there's always this jostling between the two because the people ultimately can't take for granted that just like having an advertising campaign on Facebook is exactly what they want to do. They still want to understand what these consumers are like. What is the holistic view right. of these consumers? Without Facebook data, it's not going to be very val- valuable right. because you're missing a lot of what they do every day. Only Facebook is not really like a great, it covers 80% of the advertising, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily the greatest idea either. Those conversations are still going to be going on and mm. there's this is not going to end anytime soon because there's different interests from all the parties and this is continuing to do you see to any affect us do you see any analogies that from other industries that sometimes i think about like the telecommunications industry when you you know you think of these large monopolies that had regional control and were not willing to come together to kind of create the best experience for consumers 
I mean, pricing was, you know, really crazy. I don't know if that's the best analogy, but I was just curious, do you think of analogies that might pertain to the current, you know, climate where people are really just thinking about, quite frankly, their corporate interests? Well, if you look at the corporations that spend a lot of money Mm -hmm. on, for example, understanding media consumption, television consumption, right? Historically, they spent, and there was not even a question about this, they spent in the United States most of their money with one vendor to get their data. Now we do have competition. There mm-hmm. are like various vendors, but they do have some biases built in, right? So if you like dealing with the Samsung data, right. it's very difficult to really understand what is the universe that does not have Samsung TVs. If you deal with the Visio data, they're, they're, so, but they're all looking for partial solutions that keep them competitive. Mm-hmm. I think this is not done yet because there's clearly a lot of things that need to be unpacked. This is a very difficult yeah. problem to solve, but we don't have, to have this just on the digital side. We have this really with all media consumption mm. as these like behaviors are going to no longer be just in one particular yeah. area, right? They're doing a podcast right now. They, they integrate across, <laughs> exactly. It feels to me the people that who have the quote-unquote power to maybe potentially affect change are the people who are spending the dollars on advertising and saying, I need to see holistically yes. what's happening. Yeah, I think they have the biggest opportunity mm-hmm. to push yes. the vendors. There's no question about that. Yeah, But there's also highly, again, as we know, there's highly protective like behavior happening from the streaming companies yes. from to make sure that they keep their competitive edge and mm-hmm. like if you're not measured by the competition sometimes it's good for you because yeah. you don't have to to worry about it too much right until you do and then so this is clearly the big players will eventually have to call the shots there yeah so i have a crazy question for you cuz this when you, you think may get about, a crazy answer okay when you think about you know, the industries that we've talked about, ad tech and data or research, what keeps you up at night? What makes you worried about it? What do you worry about? Or you could actually just say you sleep very well and nothing keeps you. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's a certain anxiousness in me that it may not be true. I am, as a consumer, meaning as a consuming company yes. that works with data, I am continuously worried a little bit worried Mm -hmm. that the data, that generation of the data that we use as an industry Mm -hmm. is starting to be in less and less hands accumulated, right? So you have the Facebooks, you have the Googles, and you have the Twitters of this world basically supplying the bulk of social data, of tons of data. Right. And because they're private owned and Mm -hmm. they have advertising models, they may or may not be incentivized to continuously provide all the data that might be useful for companies to make decisions available at all times. Mm -hmm. And I'm not accusing anybody at all. Of course. But it is simply like corporate interests Mm. in terms of what is reported or how it is reported becomes more and more concentrated into some very, very big ones. Mm-hmm. And if they ever decide to no longer provide that information, it leaves a big hole in the overall understanding, understanding. of what is happening. Yeah. And that 
I don't see this right now today, right? but I think it is something that is just real, right? Yeah. This is just yeah. like something that when you lose one of the big ones, it yeah. leaves a big hole in your understanding of the world through data. That is a concern yeah. long-term. Do you think that the younger generation thinks about data differently, like their own consumer private data? Or like, I always think like these younger people are so activated on certain causes, right? Like, you know, there's a million, unfortunately, causes. But do you think that this would be one of the causes that, you know, the younger generation might step up and say, you know what, this is ridiculous. Like, So from a consumer perspective, and I have only a sample of two because I have two kids that basically (laughs) do this. But joking aside, I think there is a, they grew up in a different way in Mm. terms of like dealing with social media companies and generally being digitally, raised digitally entirely. But they are very, they're on the one hand, a lot more judicious in terms of what they put out there more Mm -hmm. so than we sometimes think. But on the other hand, there are, and this is from my experience actually at teaching at university, right. there is still a lot of like obliviousness of actually what is collected. What's happening. Yeah. Yeah. What's actually happening. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but they're more likely to just like tune out some mm-hmm. of these things. I don't know, honestly, I don't know how aware many actually are. Mm of what is happening to the data that they collect. Sometimes they see it directly, but right. like as a general yeah. rule, I don't know how that is. Yeah. And that awareness isn't there. I'm not sure if it's going to lead to big changes. True. I get always the comment, oh my gosh, it's so creepy. I said one word and now I'm seeing an ad. So I have two girls as well, two kids as well. And I said, does that make you feel like you're mad? And they're like, it's just creepy. And that's it, like that it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. It's creepy and it's done. It's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> so I, anyway, yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to like, it's going to be a longer process. It's yeah. not something where we suddenly wake up one day and suddenly everything is different. I don't think that's true. Very cool. Florian, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy <laughs> chatting and talking about our industry and uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you very much. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling programming and hosting services or consultation we are agile and quick to meet your needs visit paradigmsample.com today thank you for tuning in to data gurus podcast this episode has ended but your exploration doesn't have to head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.